If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club, and this is your show. Drops points against Southampton wasn't exactly the best way to start the week, but a thumping win in the most important competition of the season on Tuesday night was a good way to finish it. Welcome to this week's Blue Moon podcast, where we'll be reviewing the factors that went into the nil-nil draw with the Saints and looking at the young players who impressed during City's 6-1 Carabao Cup victory over Wickham in midweek. We've also got the small task of three of the toughest teams in the world coming up in the next three fixtures. On this week's show, we'll be focusing on the trips to Chelsea and PSG, but there is still Liverpool away on the horizon Two. And we'll be taking a look at City's new Brazilian signing, Kaiki, with the South American football correspondent, Tim Vickery. I'm David Mooney, and this week I'm joined by City fan, Ali Fogg. Hi, David. And BBC Radio Manchester City commentator, Mike Miney. Hello there. So, let's uh, let's dive in. Mike, uh, you were there on uh, on when, on uh, Tuesday night doing the uh, commentary. Um, what was it like? What, what was the difference in that, in, in just in the two performances, really? Um, first of all, if you hear a a snore from anywhere. The dog is right next to me, so it's I've, I've not drifted off halfway through this chat. I mean, it's um, been known that the podcast has driven people to sleep in the past, but uh... <laughs> um, I look. I want to give a lot of credit to Southampton for that nil-nil draw. I thought they came with a, a fantastic day, uh, game plan, um, a, a completely refreshed idea, and I thought it was a really entertaining nil-nil. I know Manchester City fans will will struggle with the the shots to, to goal ratio and whatever but I uh, what looking at it if you take the neutral aspects I thought it was a really good nil nil draw city on Tuesday night were were very well set up I think I, Pep Guardiola obviously took the risk with the with the four uh, the the four youngsters at the back plus Lavia in midfield uh, or what 17 18 years old but he knew his front three plus De Bruyne and Foden further back had the ability to cripple Wickham if needed and and yes they went behind the goal was a freak goal from Wickham anyway uh, and, they, and they turned it on and, and I know again you've got to be careful Premier League v League 1 but I thought Foden and De Bruyne really kick-started everything City did on, on Tuesday night Yeah Ali were you, was this the game that you, you chose to go to as well? I didn't go to, to either of those two I was at the um, uh, the Leipzig game yeah. last week and, and uh, I'd, I'd to Commit to other parts of my life. <laughs> the <laughs> other two, uh, I did follow them both on streams so, uh, at the time, and yeah, I, 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 I might take slight issue with Mike who described the nil nil as entertaining. Um, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I, maybe it is just my uh, my blue blood, but I found it quite uh, quite grim to watch most of it. Um, and then from one extreme to the other, the uh, the uh, Wickham game was just an absolute tonic for the soul. It was. It was so uh, kind of life-enhancing in so many different ways all at the same time. It was a thoroughly enjoyable game of football and I would very happily play Wickham in a cup every year if we could get games like that. So, um, yeah, it was uh, a strange uh, contrast between 
two games. And and I would totally agree that we have to give a lot of credit to uh, Southampton for what happened on Saturday. Uh, I confess I I spoke to, I was going to say a rival podcast, a complimentary City uh, podcast. <laughs> There's no rivalries Friday. here, don't <laughs> exactly, worry. Yes, no exactly. rivalries. Um, a friend, uh, one of the friendly neighbours. Um, I spoke to another podcast on Friday and said uh, that I couldn't see any way the Southampton Central midfield, so you know, particularly uh, Oriol Romeo and... Uh, James Ward Prowse. I didn't think they had the defensive capabilities and the discipline to keep uh, our midfield at bay. Um, and I was just completely and utterly proven wrong. The, the two of them were outstanding. Uh, they blocked everything out. And the other really important factor, and I think the big difference between the, the games on Saturday and, and last night, is that uh, on basically on Saturday, half our team played like cabbages. And it <laughs> It's really easy to get sucked into tactical analysis and, you know, where was our formation letting us down and all the rest of it. And I think if players just don't perform, then then you can't expect any tactical setup to, to do the job for you. And I think fundamentally the, the reason we didn't win against Southampton last Saturday uh, was because we didn't play very well and they played exceptionally well. Yeah, the big concern, I, I do agree with that, Ali, is... The, I think what was the the, the ratio with Le- Leicester was twenty five shots, one goal, and Southampton was sixteen shots, one on target, which came late on, and no goals. And that is the concern when City don't perform. And Pep was expecting the post match questions of, well, surely you've just proven you need a striker. But that that I, yeah, from from that angle, that that is certainly a concern. Yeah, Mike, the, the, the other side of things is uh, we, we touched on how effective Southampton were. Um, it, it was a completely new way of dealing with City. Normally, when, when City lose games, you can you can say, well, I saw that coming. I saw exactly that performance and how it was how, how they were going to lose that game. They pass it around the edge of the box. They, they don't take one of their many chances and the opposition break away and score. With Southampton, they, they effectively said, OK, Diaz, Ake, Fernandinho, you're going to be able to have the ball but you're going to have absolutely no passes on whatsoever. And it was a new thing. So, so how, how did City cope with that in future? Because surely other teams will look at this and go, maybe we could do something like that. Maybe, but one thing Southampton had that perhaps other teams down the line will, won't have, it was a full week's preparation um, as one to really master their game plan for the game. Um, and I think, look, a draw was almost a win for Southampton and, and no disrespect to them um, when they played City and got that nil-nil. There'll be teams that come, your Chelsea's, your United's, Liverpool's, Arsenal's to some extent, Spurs, that can't afford to do that. They will have to show that they attack. They will have to come and find a way to, to win a game and as they do that, it opens up spaces and City had so many chances against Southampton. It wasn't as if Southampton really limited City to chances. It was purely that that City, would, as Ali said, were, were just below standard on the day. Clearly, what what I spoke to Ralph Hasenhutl after the game, um, and and he was he was talking a little bit about their game plan and what they'd worked on and how they knew they could get the better of Pep. The the thing that Pep will now thrive on is if that happens again. How does City get around that? And that's what he'll work on from there. 
Yeah, I mean, Ali, the the, the counter attacking was w- was really strange at times because I think that's one thing that City are not very good at is actually when when there is space to attack into, they kind of don't really know what to do. They like it when the opposition are sat in and they can pass the pass around them and drag players out of position, but when they have to make split second decisions on the counter attack, it's almost like things break down. Um, was that part of it as well? That the fact that they just could not get that build up going with the press with the press of that uh, pressure that Southampton were putting on them. I think so. Uh, I. I- I guess part of it uh, that we depend very much on our attacking fullbacks, uh, and I thought the uh, performance in both of them was was well below par on Saturday. Uh, so I mean, you're talking about you know Southampton's dominate, uh, dominance in the middle of the field and, and blocking off the supply lines. Um, normally, I'd expect us to be going around the side of them, around the flanks, uh, and we didn't really seem to be able to do that. Um, and I don't know. Yeah, Cancelo, it's... Uh, uh, I do think Cancelo is absolutely different class when he's playing on the right to the left. Um, uh, unfortunately, uh, probably, and at least when they're having a decent, decent day, um, Cancelo and... and Walker are the best two available that we have. So um, whether or not maybe putting having Zinchenko on the left, uh, which I think he came on, didn't he, on Saturday? I'm, my memory is fading. But I, I should probably know that, but I off the top of my head, I, I can't bit, remember. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it seems a long time ago now, isn't it? Um, but no, I, I thought that was one of the one of the ways in which we were we were disappointing. But I think also just that we we never managed to sustain those. Uh, Kind of formational pressures around the the uh, Southampton box. The way when when City are are uh, at their best, they're holding the ball, they're passing, they're they're keeping possession and just dragging the defence this way and that way and this way and that way until eventually we can find a way through. And none of that seemed to be happening on Saturday. I think we just we kept giving the ball away. Was the fundamental problem? The reason we weren't able to do that um, is we just had too many misplaced passes. And, and you you cannot play the way City like to play uh, when you know one in ten or whatever it is of, of your passes is, is going astray. And yeah. I, so many of our players were guilty of that. Was that Mike? Was that City playing badly, or Southampton pressing well, or both? Uh, a bit of both, but I would actually probably lean on City playing badly. There was a lot of, as Ali says, a lot of sloppy play out there on Saturday. Rare, frequent mistakes from from. I don't want to single out individuals, but I'm going to. Gundogan's passing was was beyond off on Saturday. And was becoming real frustration. It, it there were just key moments when City were eventually finding the route out at the back. Diaz and Ake found the right pass from Fernandinho. The next pass that needed to get through would have wasn't there, wasn't right, was off a little bit. And there were moments in the box as well. Sterling had a really heavy touch um, when he came on in the box on the right hand side, where it hit his sort of hit his thigh and bounced. 10 yards away from it. it. It was uncharacteristically Gundo and it was uncharacteristically Sterling, but it was just all in the sense of that nil-nil draw where the frustrations were, were really there. And you know, for, for some time, actually, I can't remember the cries of come on City. The champ was there. A bit like in the old days when United used to shout attack, attack, attack at Louis van Gaal. It was like, I've not heard that for a while. And that, that it was clearly a sign of frustration from City yeah. fans. 
Yeah, um, the the pressure that was uh, being that was being put on the city defence as well. It led to Kyle Walker giving away a, the penalty that wasn't. Um, I've been reading Dale Johnson's thread on uh, Twitter. Dale works for ESPN. He's their kind of uh, I, I call him the Varzar uh, because he, he seems <laughs> to know everything about uh, about the VAR. Um, so let's explain. I'm going to explain now exactly what happened there, so uh, so we can get a feel of it all. John Moss gave the penalty, uh, believing that Kyle Walker had pushed Armstrong in the back. Uh, that obviously isn't an attempt for the ball so the the result was a penalty and a red card because uh, you can't be sent off for a genuine attempt for the ball in the box if you um under the i think it's double or triple jeopardy rule now um he was then describing that incident to martin atkinson who was the var who said uh, that's not that doesn't tally up with what i've seen come and have a look at it on the monitor so when john moss goes over to the monitor there are four options available to him either he can stick with a penalty and a red card because he sees the push uh, he can go with a penalty and a yellow card for a trip by Kyle Walker. He can decide a penalty and no card also for a trip by Kyle Walker. Or he can overturn the whole thing and say there's no penalty incident there and there's obviously no card because of it. Um, that last option was only there because he'd given a penalty for the push and not for a trip. Uh, if John Moss had given a, a penalty for the trip in the first instance uh, and sent uh, Walker off, the VAR would probably have reviewed the red card but not the penalty. Does all that make sense, Ali? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe to someone. Um, uh, I, I, no, no, no uh, reflection on you, David. But I kind of drifted off around a third of the way through that, that <laughs> explanation, which might be the root of the problem. The way I thought at the time and on the initial replay, I thought absolutely stonewall, no argument. That is a penalty. Um, I thought it was a trip, and so the double jeopardy thing would come in, and I thought he probably wouldn't get a red card. Then when they showed the replays, while they were doing the VAR review and we got replay after replay and, and the commentator on whichever game I was, uh, channel I was watching um, started to spill some doubt. And I kind of, I guess if I squinted and I tried, I could see the Southampton player, uh, Armstrong, wasn't it? I could see him going to ground before Walker had made any contact with him. Um, and... If there's one way of looking at it where it was Armstrong who went to ground and tripped Walker just as Walker was about to take control of the ball. Uh, and if you see it that way, then, yeah, uh, the, the decision would be right. Um, but I have to say, as a City fan with, with like blue-tinted glasses, I was really struggling to see that. Um, and I, the, the other thing I would add, the way in which Walker gave the ball away was so absolutely reprehensible that I thought, you know, we deserved a penalty and, against, and, and a red card against us just as punishment for that. And I think... <laughs> However else we see everything that happened, Kyle Walker was a very, very, very lucky boy indeed to get away with that. Yeah, the uh, the other VAR decision, uh, Mike, was the offside goal right at the end. Uh, Sterling was uh, just offside from Foden's header. Um, uh, got any complaints about that? Because, I mean, obviously in that situation, Sterling doesn't know he's offside and he can't not go for that, surely. Yeah, he has to go for it. Him and Foden both went for it in the end, didn't they? And, and I think Foden actually scored the goal, but... There was as soon as uh, the flag went up, I looked at Lee Croft, who was alongside me on, on BBC Radio Manchester, and turned to him and said, uh, the, "You know, the, the, if they don't, they're going to look at this for two options. One A is offside. The second is interference. And both, you know, is either one or both offside. One or both interfere. And and clearly, yeah, if 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 one of them was offside, whoever that was was interfering. They were so close together. They were both sliding in." 
putting the goalkeeper off, whatever you want to call it. It was, it, yeah, it, it, there was no complaints from me on that VAR. Yeah, just unfortunate, isn't it? Um, let's turn our attention to the uh, Wickham game. There were five youngsters uh, that made their starting debuts anyway. Uh, CJ Egan Riley, there was Luke Mbete, there was uh, Finn Burns, uh, Josh Wilson Esbrand and Romeo Lavia. Uh, Mike, how did you think they did? Yeah, I um, I thought, that, honestly, mate, they, they were so impressive. You see four 18-year-olds at the back and you just wonder whether, you know, particularly... I know he's 39, but you just the, the casual joke with an element of seriousness in the build-up was Adibayo Akinfenwa, that he was just going to bully these lads completely off the ball. And um, he didn't. And all of them stood up strong. Finn Burns and Mbete between them in the centre-back partnership. And then on the wings, Josh Wilson-Esbrand on the left was a, was a complete fresh uh, breath of air. He was... He was brilliant. He he got he was everything City have missed in a left back in the last five or six years. And again, you take a pinch of salt. It's Wickham he's up against. It's not Chelsea, Liverpool, etc. But the I saw a bright future for that back four. They had a lot of trust put in him. Romeo Lavia in in midfield as well. Got on perfectly with De Bruyne and Foden. And I know they they train with each other, but it's a different thing doing it on the pitch and linking up. And I, I thought they were I thought they were they were ace. Yeah, for many of these uh, players as well, Ali, this will be one of the first times they've actually played in front of a crowd. That's that's not to, that that's that's kind of that adds an extra layer of pressure, doesn't it? It does, and it's amazing. And I think the thing that I found most impressive about it I mean, before before I go to praise them, I think I have to point out. I don't think I've I've seen anyone mention this yet, um, but it should be said that the goal we let away, uh, the 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 Wickham goal we let in was a bit of a catastrophe. Uh, I know there was, a, there was a hideous deflection that sent the ball in a weird way in the middle of it, uh, which you know kind of caught everyone out of position and off guard. But still, um, there were three Wickham strikers standing in the middle of the goal without a City defender anywhere near them when that ball came across, and it was an absolute nightmare. Um, the really impressive thing is that that back four, you know, it, 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 72 years age between them, um, they did not get flustered at all. They didn't panic. They didn't apparently dwell on the fact that they'd let in a bad goal. Um, they just knuckled down and from that point onwards, didn't between them, did not put a foot wrong. Um, and that's actually more impressive than if they'd just never been challenged throughout. Um, you know, if, if it'd all been easy and they'd get a clean sheet, uh, it might look a bit better you know, on paper and in their numbers. Um, but actually it would have been a less impressive performance because the courage when you when you are playing in front of that kind of I mean obviously not a huge Etihad crowd, but still a significant number of people, and as you say, probably for the first time in their careers, um, to do that uh, and to have the the presence of mind and the composure uh, and just the 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 coolness and, and uh, capability of just lifting yourself from a from a disappointment from a from a, a bad start and really delivering is absolutely massive and that was a huge credit to them want to have a word on James McAtee as well, Mike, because he's quite, uh, he's a player that I, I think a, a fair few City fans are getting excited about. He came on mm. for his debut off the bench. Um, he, he came on at left back, which is the Phil Foden route, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's any player's route in this squad at the minute, I think, the, the <laughs> options that, that Manchester City have there. Um, yeah, I, I didn't see enough of him to, to make a, a formed opinion, I don't think. He had a couple of bursts down the left-hand side, looked bright, looked lively. 
Um, obvi- I think actually when 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 Pep ever speaks about the the EDS, I don't know whether you've noticed this in in press conferences, but there's always a couple that get met, like the names are actually mentioned, and it isn't any of the back four. To be fair, it wasn't even Romeo Lavia. It is always Cole Palmer and James McAtee or McAteer, as I think Pep always likes to call them. <laughs> um, but but but, um, but those two are always highlighted, and if if. They they are the brights, but the next lot you think that Pep wants to push through just by the way he raves about them, just by the way he talks about it. Look, clearly, Finley Burns and Luke Mbete will get will probably get a bit of bench time, but when you've got Diaz, uh, Ake, Stones, and Laporte all ahead of you, that is very tough to break through. Pep might explore a little bit with Wilson Esbrand, I think, on the left hand side, but yeah, McAtee and, and Palmer are the two. Um, I just obviously Palmer stole the headlines with his first City goal. I would like to see a little bit more McAtee uh, myself. Would he? Would you think he might experiment a little bit with Laviorelli? Just given that in the Southampton game, Fernandinho looked very much his age, um, and also Rodri's injured at the moment. Well, you'd think at the very least it, it uh, shunt Lavia up onto the bench, and, and maybe he'll get minutes. Um, I think. I mean, Lavia had had a couple of absolutely outstanding moments. A, a few where he he did look still like he, you know he was still a kid, um, but he's obviously coming on in leaps and bounds. Uh, I would expect to see him. Um, I just wanted to add about uh, uh, McAtee. I thought there was a bit kind of the last ten minutes or so. Uh, when you had uh, De Bruyne and Foden and I think Mahrez still in the pitch and then interacting with Cole Palmer and McAtee um, and all of them just kind of playing within the penalty, playing within the uh, opponent's penalty box, knocking the ball around between them was just a wonderful thing to see. Um, and that photo of uh, Cole Palmer, I don't know if you saw it in the rounds on, on social media, uh, there was a photo of Palmer celebrating his goal with Kevin De Bruyne just standing, applauding him in the background, and it's kind of you can imagine it becoming an iconic image for you know decades to come. Um, and one other thing I'll, I'll note about uh, Cole Palmer in particular, when he scored his goal, um, and particularly in, in the run up to it, when he picked up the ball, you know, well inside his own half, and just opened those like huge long lanky legs and streaked across the pitch. Um, he, he absolutely flew down before calmly slotting that ball into the um, bottom right of the, the goal. Uh, I got a really strong flashback to Stephen Ireland. Um, not so much his, his physical appearance, but just the way he gl- uh, glided across the turf um, and his composure, and it was uh, just beautiful to see. So, you know, all those players going forward is wonderful. Um, and I think we will continue to see what we've always seen from Pep, that he's very, very cautious about uh, bleeding these players too quickly. Um, they will get their time in the Carabao, which is how we use the Carabao Cup, and, and it's one of the reasons we've done so well in it. Um, but uh, Pep is Pep's really not a fan of throwing kids into the, the um, grown-ups games, um, and I'd be very surprised if any of the what seven, eight young players we saw on uh, on Tuesday night, if many of them get many minutes this year, um, but all of them are in a fantastic trajectory, and, and I, I wouldn't be at all surprised if you know this time next year, um, certainly Lavia uh, and obviously Palmer McAtee we've talked about are are much closer to being realistic first team options. Yeah, 
Um, as I say, it, I think it will be harder for the defenders, not least because I, I think it takes a lot longer for uh, uh, defensive players to learn the game and and to to find their feet and, and you know, get their place. Uh, yeah. But more, you know, more risk, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. but um, uh, so many you know bright skies up ahead of us. Yeah, um, I want to talk uh, a little bit about about Cole Palmer because uh, when he came on and uh, scored, he then spoke to City TV after the game uh, about how he was feeling. This is what he said. Over the moon, absolutely buzzing to score my first goal and to go through to the next round, um, important and yeah, delighted. You had a lot of time to think about the finish, so uh, how, what were you thinking when you picked up the ball? Well, when I got the ball on the halfway line, I thought I'm not looking back, I thought I'm going, I'm going. Just drove at the defender, see him Riyad, the defender dropped off, so I thought I'm going to take it took it and thankfully it went in <laughs> yeah just the fact that you could see it opening up yeah. for you so did you really pick out that space and think right this is this yeah. is really going in seeing that space got into it and um i've i thought sometimes i've laid it off when i could have shot so i thought i'm gonna gonna rip one yeah you had yeah. a good chance literally when you first yeah, came on, first came on we were, funny we were speaking about warming up when she went to come out to phil and he's i just thought i snatched it but Thankfully, I got another one. Yeah, and what does that say about your mentality? That you were thinking you might have missed that first yeah. one, but you've got yourself back just in again. Keep going and hope, and I've got a goal. So yeah, buzzing. Yeah. What did the manager say to you when you were coming on? He just said, "Be confident, um, go and play in the position of Phil, and yeah, enjoy yourself." And that's what I did. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Mike, um, I absolutely love that interview. It's absolutely cracking. I don't know if it's from a broadcast point of view. He just speaks so well, doesn't he? Yeah, he's a typical Mank lad. I'm lucky enough to, to speak to him after the game myself as well. And I just love that description that he knew the side were 5-1 up and he gets the ball on the halfway line and thinks, right, I'm going for it. I'm not looking back. Stuff the rest of them. I'm going to go and score a goal here. And, and he did. And it was it was great to see. But yeah, he does speak well. Um, he is... Um, yeah, he's... He, He's, he's kind of grounded, but at the same time knows his ability. And I like that, you know. He, he'll always keep himself in check. I think he, he totally respects Pep Guardiola and, and his decisions that, OK, he's not going to play every game, as I'm sure he would love to in front of his home fans. But, at the same, yeah, it, it, so it, that keeps him grounded. But at the same time, look, he knows he's, he's on the verge and on the cusp here. And, and, and he, if he's got the ability to show it, why not? Yeah. Um, while we're on the Carabao Cup, let's talk about one of the big stories of the week as well, because it turns out Phil Foden, uh, who won the, when he won the League Cup in 2020 with a Man of the Match performance, uh, the very next day he got a French Bulldog and he called it Carabao. Um, so have either of you two got pets named after anything to do with City? Ali, any pets that uh, that have City-based yeah. names? Well, uh, I've, I've got a, uh, a little Bichon Terrier cross thing uh, who absolutely loves playing football. And if I take him to a, a park where there is a family having a kickabout, um, if I let, let him off the lead, he will just charge over, will take the ball and will run around frantically in circles at incredible speed with incredible control with the ball at his nose. Um, and he's called George. And I like to tell people he's named after Georgie Kinkladze because he, he <laughs> runs with incredible speed, speed and, spit and, and skill, but in no particular direction. <laughs> uh, but um, uh, I, I, sadly, it, it is actually a bit of a fib. He, he was named George after my uh, my kids thought he was curious when he was a puppy and he named her after a, a cartoon monkey. Um, but I, I do tell everyone else that he, I have got a dog called Georgie Kinkladze and he... And, uh, Maybe if I hadn't called him that, he would be a bit better behaved in the park when he sees a football. <laughs> Maybe. Mike, any, any, can you top that story? No, I don't know whether I can. I nearly, very nearly um, convinced Paul the other half to, to call uh, our dog Serge 
And the way around that was we'd get him after Sergio Aguero, but Paul is a big fan of Kasabian, of which Sergio's is a big fan. <laughs> so, so we could we could both spin our our respective stories on as as into how he was called Serge. Um, in the end, I backed down. We called him Rex. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's a shame. I've, I, my, my cat's called Peaches, but that's what she was called when we adopted her. So, uh, unfortunately, I, I've been searching the city archives and cannot find any references to a player called Peaches. So, uh, there we go. Uh, right. do, do, they, do, they not, do they not call him Cole Peachy Palmer? Is that not I, the... Uh... I, I, well, it starts now. If not, it starts now. That's, uh, that, that, that's what we're doing. Uh, right. Well, while we're talking about the young players uh, at City, City have brought in a new young Brazilian forward. The deal was agreed last April and Kaique was due to join in January, but the move happened sooner when he fell out of favour at Fluminense. He's now at the academy and I've been speaking to the BBC's South American football correspondent and part of the Brazil shirt name podcast, Tim Vickery, to find out more about him. No, he's, he's not He's not a centre forward. I mean, he, he's, he, he's been billed on the way up as left-footed Neymar. Uh, and he's, he's never going to be a centre forward. He's, 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 too, he's too frail for that. Um, where Fluminense were playing him when he got into the first team this year was was wide on the right, uh, where he could cut in on his on his left foot. So he's he's slightly built, um, but there's there's a there's a burst of acceleration, and there's there's a left foot which is very exciting. I mean he can he, he can dribble with that ball tied to his left his left foot, uh, and uh, well he scored he scored a couple of goals which is not bad for someone who was thrown in at the deep end at, at seventeen. And he seems to have a little bit of vision around him as well. Um, but in terms of like a first-team place at Man City, uh, I think he's a long way off. Yeah, I mean, in, in terms of uh, of um, kind of his development so far, where's he at as a player? Because obviously Brazil has a, you know, it's got a, a, a very rich history of, uh, of forward players. Where, where where does he, kind of in terms of development, where is he? Well, he's, he's very, very young. I mean, they're, they're forming a lot of, these kind of wingers and wide strikers. Uh, and that's what he is. And what they're not forming that, that many of is, is genuine centre-forwards, amazingly enough. It's something of a problem position for them. They thought at one point, before the World Cup, that Gabriel Jesus was the, the solution to their centre-forward problem. Since the World Cup, they've decided he's not a centre-forward. He's a wide striker as well. The the, the, the Kaiki thing, I, I think it, it's a deal which is totally indicative of the way that the market works now. And also the perils, the dangers of the way that the market works now, because this is someone who uh, was thrown in at the age of 17. He's got 20-odd games behind him. He's, he's done well, although he's shown the inconsistency of youth as well. Um, but that momentum is now interrupted. The way that the market operates now is that the big European clubs are looking to take them at 18. Uh, and that's that's one of the reasons I think um, the, the move was brought, brought forward because he, he he turned 18, so City could take him now. They couldn't take him before now, and there are there are obviously risks in this. I mean, look at uh, the South South American right backs that City bought, teenage right backs, you know, Cloyver Aguilar from Peru and Jan Soto from from Brazil. Now, there's not going to be space for all of these players. They're not they're, they're not first team players yet, so. You know, they, they're in the youth teams or, you know, they're, they're, they're languid, maybe they're, they're loaned here and there. And there, there are dangers with that, especially with the players being loaned to, to places that don't have a long-term interest in them. They can get really lost. And the biggest casualty of this was uh, another City one a few years ago, Marlos Moreno, 
who was doing wonderfully well. You know, he'd, he'd won the Colombian Championship. He'd won the South American Champions League. He got into the Colombia side. And as soon as he went to City and he's loaned out, all of that momentum collapses. And he hasn't really done anything now for, for, for four years, which is, I, th- I think, a real shame. So those are the dangers with, with the, with the Kaiki thing. You know, because you're buying him so young, the club aren't making a huge investment in him. Which means that if it comes off, fantastic. You know, you've got a fat, you got your, there, there is a really exciting talent there. But if it doesn't come off, well, you can buy another one. And uh, it's the way that the market operates now. You know, with uh, these days, if, if the player is still in South America at the age of 23, it's, it's because Europe, Europe isn't interested. They want to, they want to take them at 18. But it's a risky path because it interrupts the, uh, the momentum of the career. Yeah, I mean the other the other interesting aspect, obviously, the the, the big comparison to make is uh, when when City signed Gabriel Jesus in in twenty seventeen. Um, he he was nineteen at the time, nearly twenty. Is that is that a big age gap at that time? Massive, because in those that, that extra those extra years, uh, Gabriel Jesus was you know fighting for he, he was leading player with. Palmeiras, big, big team. You know, he was winning titles for them. He played the Olympics at home, which was a big thing. And he just got into the Brazil side as well. So you, you were buying a player there who was much, much further down the line and who, you know, you know from the start, this is a player who is in, in contention for a first-team place. You know, and you remember when he went first in that, that debut game against Tottenham how impressive he, he was there. So he's hitting the ground running, he's important there, and, and away he goes. It's so different for, for someone like Keiki because he's, he won't be close to the first team. You know, he might get a, a game in the, in, in the second cup competition or something like that, or, or he might be loaned out, and that can be dispiriting. What's the reaction been like in Brazil to the move? Obviously, City is, is a huge club to, to, to go to as a teenager. What, what's, what's the reaction there been like? Well, it, it's the way, as I'm saying, it's the way the market is, is, is going. I mean, it's what especially Fluminense do. You know, they've, they've sold. Uh, and their, their youth structure is very good. So, you know, they, they produce to sell, produce to sell, produce to sell. The club supporters uh, are understandably stroppy about this, you know, because these wonderful talents from, from, from the, the youth team, they hardly ever get a chance to see them. You know, I mean, what, what, really, what, what, what's happening is... They have to produce to sell in order to pay the bills. So, you know, they, uh, um, so from, a, from a, a home supporter's point of view, especially if you're a Fluminense fan, you want to see him develop. You know, you want to see him here for, a, you want to see him in Brazil for long enough to be an idol with the fans. You want to see him score goals and, and fight for, for titles. Uh, instead of which, you've got to watch him on the TV playing on the other side of the Atlantic. So there's there's some sadness about it, especially from from Fluminense fans, but that that's the way that the market has gone. And interestingly, I think um, there are some super clubs developing in Brazil now. We've got three real super clubs who've broken away from the pack, and with these super clubs, the the, the what what they're they're doing really is produce young stars to sell, and then use that money to invest in squads that have two types of players from Europe. Um, they'll have the players in their mid-20s who haven't been able to establish themselves in Europe and, and, are, and are looking for a kind of reboot. And 
veterans who are at the end of their stay in Europe. So just in, in, this, in, in this transfer window, for example, Flamengo of Rio, they signed uh, Kennedy from Chelsea, Andreas Pereira from Man United, who were, you know, the, the mid-20s kind of thing, and David Luiz, who was let free from, from, from Arsenal. Uh, and that's been, that's been their transfer policy for the last three years or so. So you, you've got to say goodbye to the, to the kids, to the, the, the potential wonder kids, in order to, to bring back players who, who, can't, who are either too old or can't quite get a foot in, in these giant European squads. Uh, and uh, unfortunately for, for the home supporters, it means that you know, the talent like Kaiki, Jan Soto won the Under-17 World Cup with, with, with Brazil. You know, in order to enjoy him, you've got to switch on the TV. Yeah, I mean, uh, just a, a final word as well on uh, Gabriel Jesus because um, he's he feels like he's at a bit of a crossroads at City at the moment. How how is he viewed from Brazil right now? A little bit similar, uh, as I, as I said, going into the when when he first got into the national team, which was just before he joined City, and he scored a hat trick in debut on debut and won the game. You know, there were, no, he scored two. He, he won the penalty for the other, the first goal, and then scored two absolute crackers, different style of crackers. And then, then he was booked in. And uh, on the best of Brazil in recent years has been uh, those eighteen months, second half of sixteen, and all through seventeen. Uh, and uh, him and Neymar were working really well together. And it was real optimism for the World Cup. And the World Cup is a bad, bad moment in his in his career because uh, you know, it's very, very rare that a centre-forward for Brazil goes through a World Cup without scoring a goal. And he really feels that. You know, that, that's a real mark in, in his career. The coach afterwards said that he'd made a mistake in playing him at centre-forward and he should have dropped him earlier. What a blow to his confidence that must have been. And since then, he's been used as a, as a wide striker. Where uh, And I, I think, you remember the, the Champions League game not the season that's just gone, but the season before. Real when, Madrid. Uh, yeah, great yeah. against Real Madrid. And then Lyon. And Lyon was a different kind of game, wasn't it? It was a game where you needed penalty area presence and he really didn't have it. So uh, that, that, that I think is, is, is a question mark against him. Can he be a better penalty area operator? And it's a doubt that the, the World Cup left and it's, it's a doubt that I, I think that City have about him as well, you know, that he, he's not, as he looked at one point, he looked as if he was going to be the man to take over from Aguero. I don't think there's the same vibe about him now because he's, he's, he's not as much of a penalty area goal scorer. Certainly Brazil have decided that he does his best work wide when he, when he, can, when he can get into the area, but he, he's, he's, not, he's not static in the area as, as, as a kind of pivot, as, as a, anything like a, a kind of target man. So great wide where he's also very good at putting the opposing defenders under pressure when, when they're playing out. But uh, as, as an out-and-out goal scorer, uh, I still think we're wondering, though, know, is he, is he really world-class? I remember when, around the time that, uh, that he joined City, the great Ronaldo, the original Ronaldo, was saying, you know, this is a player who reminds me of the young me few years further down the line, I don't think anyone would make that comparison. You know, the, the great original Ronaldo was turned into so much of a powerhouse and Gabriel Jesus hasn't, hasn't quite got that around him. So, uh, yeah, I, I would agree. I think he, he, he's at, at the crossroads 
And uh, do you think that he's he's best as a wide striker? Can you see him as a as, as a as a genuine centre forward? I I agree with absolutely everything you said there. I think when certainly this season he started. I think he started this season very very well, and he's been playing wide on the right instead of it's 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 a weird one because he's normally with City he's been playing wide on the left. Um, and he's been playing wide on the right, and I think he's been doing a really, really good job. He's got a, he's got several assists to his name already. Um, I think he's I think he's found the net a couple of times already, um, and it's just it, it just looks like he's filling in with confidence. And as we've seen over the last few years, he, he looks like a confidence player, doesn't he? Yes, yes. He's uh, although sometimes you wonder how much of that is just his physical appearance. No, because <laughs> he does look. He's like, often he's, he's on the verge of breaking into tears, doesn't he? Please give us your backing. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. That was Tim Vickery speaking to me about Kaiki. Um, let's look ahead now to uh, possibly one of the hardest weeks that City are going to have all season. It starts with uh, Chelsea away on Saturday and then uh, PSG in the midweek. We'll come to that one shortly. Um, Ali, let's start with uh, the trip to Stamford Bridge because it's now three defeats to uh, Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea for Guardiola. Um I'm I'm kind of minded to say that the first two first two don't really count, but does that make sense? Uh, yeah, I, I know what you're getting at. At least um, the the first two were odd in different ways, uh, partly because of where we came up to in the season. I think the FA Cup uh, defeat was um, the most out of character one, um, and the league one was. Uh, it's not so good. Uh, and then, of course, there's a big one as well, uh, Champions League. Um, I I feel like uh, we've never really given Chelsea our full game yet. In for for uh, reason for I think different reasons in each game, um, we never quite turned up in any of them. Uh, the, I'd say the most painful one being the, the Champions League final, where we just. Um, Pep's selection. You know, this, this is, I don't want to rake over all of this again, um, but it basically just wasn't our our normal team formation we played. Um, and I'm, I guess we will have a little bit of that as well, and that we will still be playing with a slightly makeshift um, centre back pairing. Um, you know, it, it would be lovely to be able to put out our absolute first choice team and see how they hold up, um, but. It is what it is. Uh, what I will say, and, and it relevant to the earlier conversation we had, um, I often uh, think that the biggest danger you've got when you're coming up to a run of fixtures like the we've got, one we've got now is that the games immediately beforehand, uh, you allow your concentration and, and focus to slip. And I wonder part of the reason we were so flat against Southampton is because already in the week's training, um, Pep had started thinking much more about Chelsea and, and the other games coming up ahead than he was about Southampton. And even if it hadn't actually been overtly and explicitly you know, a, a, a focus of training, I bet a lot of the players' minds were somewhere a week ahead rather than where they needed to be last Saturday. Yeah. So I'm hoping that that's something we've now got out of our system and, and it was just a bit of a blip about against Southampton and we'll be back to something like our, our full form. Um, the fact that we've got De Bruyne and Phil Foden back somewhere very near their very best, uh, at least based on on what we've seen this week, uh, gives me huge 
cause for hope. Uh, it's an incredibly tough game. I don't know what we've learned uh, from the previous games, but um, I kind of feel like it, it must be our turn. We haven't really given a Tuchel Chelsea team our full... Uh, yeah, we haven't given them both barrels yet, and maybe maybe Saturday will be the day. We hope so. Yeah. Um, the the interesting thing I think for this game, Mike, is uh, obviously with Fernandinho, like we said earlier on, looked his age against Southampton. Rodri probably not fit. Uh, we'll still wait to to find out on that one. Um, if that's the case, I know this this feels like very much uh, you know that meme that you see online of uh, the guy with uh, uh, stood at the window with sickos written on his uh, shirt, just just <laughs> laughing. I know it, I know it feels like I'm about to suggest being that guy, but I, I'd almost put Gundogan in there in that holding role, and I know. Oh, that's what the fans <laughs> hated about the Champions League final. But you see what I'm getting at, don't you? There are nerves there. That City needs somebody who can play the ball a bit deeper through the press. Yeah, and and I'm still not convinced Ake and Diaz get on very well at centre. Obviously, they get on, but you know what I mean? In terms of a partnership, it's not the strongest. Yeah, as uh, soon as we, we see the team sheet on Saturday and it, and it reads... Uh, um, uh, no Rodri or Fernandinho. I, I think City fans will, will certainly throw their minds back to me. Fernandinho wasn't great, as you say, against Southampton, but maybe he'll step it up against Chelsea. It's a bigger game, a lot more riding on it, a lot more pressure. He's a man who thrives on the pressure, a man who's clearly got the experience. He can clearly dictate a midfield. So I would, I would, I would think that maybe Fernandinho would play there, having particularly missed out on Tuesday night as well that I think that, that that could be a solution. There will be nerves, as you say, two defeats to, to two kills Chelsea. And one thing I've, I was pointed out to me by former City youth coach Steve Eyre, actually, about two kills play, and a lot of Pep Guardiola's defeats at Manchester City, they've always come against teams with three at the back. Yeah. And that's what Chelsea play. So that's that's the other concern. Has Pep now got a solution to, to counter to counter that? The back three. Uh, one potential answer, Ali. Um, you mentioned him before, Zinchenko. Uh, Mike's done the groundwork. He didn't come off the bench against Southampton. Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> but uh, we, we, you know, twenty minutes on, we've 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 worked that one out. Um, but it, it is there, isn't it? A left footer at left back could open the pitch up. I'm a fan of Zinchenko. Um, I'm always a fan of Zinchenko under any circumstances, and and particularly in big games, I I really like him there. Uh, and yes, I I've got nothing really particularly uh, clever to add to what he just said. Um, I I think, and I hope what we might see is Cancelo and and Zinchenko as the fullbacks, and I think that would be my preference. Uh, it gets the best out of Cancelo, which uh, when he delivers, uh, the best out of Cancelo is a hell of a lot. Uh, but also, I mean, Zinchenko, everything about Zinchenko, whether whether it's his attitude, his skills, his, you know, his uh, left-footedness, all of, this, all of it just kind of, uh, it screams enthusiasm and energy and, and a kind of vibrant approach to the game. Uh, things are never dull when Zinchenko is around. And I think the intensity of the game on Saturday is likely to be so high that I really want to see him there. And, and hopefully that can be one of the one of the ways we uh, see a step up from last week. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting as well. In the years gone by, uh, Guardiola's tended to pick Zinchenko against uh, against Chelsea. It's been they, they've been the games where it where it's felt like Zinchenko's been chucked in at the deep end when he was younger and inexper- well younger and more inexperienced at left back than he is now. It's always it was always Chelsea. It was the it was the League Cup final against Chelsea, and that six nil. He, uh, he, he, he we didn't see it coming, and he just uh, he just chucked him in. So. Am I also right in saying he played? He definitely played against Chelsea at some point. I'm sure it was the the win at Stamford Bridge last year. I know they were under Lampard, different side, etc. But he came on. I'm sure, and the tackles were relentless from the beginning. He just stopped everything that Chelsea threw at him. It was. I'm sure he came on as a sub and dictated the lot. He was fantastic. Yeah, it's uh, it's it seems to be one of one of uh, Guardiola's go tos. Um, the interesting thing, the other interesting angle, I guess, Mike is um, Foden and De Bruyne. They were they both started uh, in midweek. They both look like they're getting back to fitness. In fact, Foden was uh, was I thought the best player on the pitch against yeah. Wickham. Um, what what does that change? Does that change the dynamic of City's attack from the Southampton game to this Chelsea game? Yeah, absolutely. Both of them. I mean, they work well enough on the pitch, sometimes on opposite sides of the pitch, giving City an outlet, no matter which way they look for. But for, yeah, for, if you take away the, the hype around the, the youngsters that played on, on, on Tuesday night and how well they did, and uh, and just look at Foden, the, 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 the defining point was uh, De Bruyne's goal, the equaliser. It was trapped behind Foden. He had to hold his left leg back to try and get hold of the ball. Did that then released Kevin De Bruyne, who who scored the equaliser and ultimately got City back on track. But those two, they've both had, obviously, injuries over the summer, both trying to get back to full fitness, both look back to their best. And 90 minutes, um, or as close on for Foden and De Bruyne, did them so good against Wickham that now they're, yeah, they're, they're, to me... They're, they are back to their their best level now ahead of the ahead of ahead of the weekend, which is great. Yeah, the, sorry to chuck another negative question your way, Ali. Though, but uh, <laughs> any concerns about uh, about the the form of Raheem Sterling because he he just doesn't look like things are clicking for him at the moment. Yeah, okay. I, I've got a bit of a theory about Sterling, um, and I I don't know how well this will stand up to any serious scrutiny. If anyone wants to tell me I'm wrong, I'll be glad to hear it. Um, I think there are some players who really thrive on competition for places. Um, when they've got players behind them on the bench wanting their spot, they will lift themselves up another level and deliver in ways they hadn't before. And a really good example of that, I think, um, I've said this before, but I think the most useful thing Joao Cancelo did when he arrived at Man City is give a massive kick up Kyle Walker's bum. Um, Kyle Walker, almost the day after Cancelo arrived, Walker's performances went up several levels uh, and by and large have stayed there since. Um, And then there are other players that I think don't thrive from uncertainty and competition and a kind of a a feeling of excess pressure. Um, I think perhaps one of the reasons uh, Sterling flourishes for England is... Uh, because uh, Southgate, you know, who does have flaws as manager, I think one of his strengths is that he's incredibly loyal to the players that he likes. And if you've got a place as your as a starting first choice in the England team at the moment, um, then you're very likely to keep it. Um, and I think Sterling flourishes under those conditions. And I think when there are uh, when he's been at his best for City as well, it's often been when there's been a lot of injuries around him and there's been no one left but Sterling to carry the, the you know, carry the front line. Um, 
now at the moment with with five six players all fit and firing and ready to step into any one of the like places in the front three um i think sterling is struggling and i think that's possibly um part of the part of the reason why uh, the other thing i'll say is that um i like sterling at his best when he's uh, playing in the right wing. Um, I like him at his second best when he's playing in the left wing. And I, I'm least uh, kind of uh, enthused by, by Raz when he's playing through the middle. Um, and I know, I think the, the last game of the game before that he played, he, he was mostly in a kind of false nine. Um, I don't think that suits him very well. Uh, so part of it is about what's going on around him. Um, I, I mean, to be honest, I think it's unlikely. Uh, Sterling will start against Chelsea, possibly in any of the next three games we've got coming up, um, because I think between uh, Foden, Torres, Jesus, um, Grealish, uh, all the others have forgotten, yeah, potentially even Bernardo, um, I, I think uh, I, I'd, I'm, I'd be surprised if Sterling gets uh, many starts in the last three next three games. Put it that way. Um, yeah. And am I concerned about that? And, you know, it's I would love Sterling to be always be at his absolute best and fit and firing. But also, it's kind of the, the nature of City of the, the type of club and the type of team we are now. Um, we have got loads and loads and loads of world class attacking players. Um, and if anybody isn't at the top level, then they step back and, and get their turn when they're you know, when they're ready. Um, so yeah, it, it might just be how it is. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I certainly don't want Sterling to go anywhere. He's been yeah you know, an, an absolutely. Uh, crucial part of, of City's success stories over the last five years or whatever. Um, but, it, but it is what it is. You know, he's, he's not guaranteed a, a spot. Um, it's not coincidental that he finished last season like not starting that many games. Uh, and I think when, when everybody is fit and firing, that might be how we return to. Yeah. Um, Mike, do you think it's exacerbated a little bit by the lack of a centre-forward for City? And, I mean, speaking of which, do you, do you expect Torres to come back in for this Chelsea game? Um, blimey uh, impossible question when it comes to Pep Guardiola's selection but <laughs> I do I do like Torres uh, down the middle I know he was actually initially brought in as, as a wide man but he kind of just I know not, not always does he time it right a couple of times he's offside but he does time he does make the right runs not again. I want to say right runs at the right time. What I'm saying, he's got the right idea to get in between the defenders, and if someone can thread that pass through to him perfectly, he's onto it. And you know he's got pace. He's got ability to to finish. He's he's picked that up in the last year or so, which is great. Uh, and I, yeah, I really like. So look, if he starts down the middle on Saturday, I'm I'm perfectly happy with that. Well, uh, we'll look ahead uh, to the predictions on that in a, in a few minutes' time. But first, uh, let's look ahead to midweek. City have their second Champions League group game. And it's a repeat of last season's semi-final first leg as Pep Guardiola takes his team to the Parc des Princes to face PSG. It's a slightly different PSG side this year as it's been revamped with signings like Sergio Ramos and Lionel Messi. Dan Burke's been speaking to Ed from PSG Talk to find out more about their style this season so far. You know what? I think we're still figuring out what the style is going to be. You had a lot of international tournaments over the summer. 
A lot of new faces coming in, a lot of big egos, talented players, but uh, players who are maybe captains or their national team or, or clubs that they were at before. So you have all of these players coming into PSG now and you have Pochettino trying to figure it all out. And while PSG are undefeated uh, this season in league on play in the one, one against Bruges, it hasn't been spectacular. Um, and, and I think from a fan's point of view, we're still figuring out what the best formation is for this team. What do the tactics look like? You know, Pochettino coming from Spurs, he's never really had a collection of talent like this. And so he, he not only has to figure out the tactics and the formation and what players gel the best against certain opponents, but he's got to figure out how to manage all these personalities. It's a big job. And uh, we just haven't, haven't seen it all come together yet. We've got PSG's got a game we're recording on Wednesday against Mets. Um, Messi won't be playing. He's got a little bit of a knock on his knee. So a missed opportunity, more playing time to get these players all together. So it's, you know, the Man City's game is coming up. And so it's going to be up where PSG are up against it to kind of figure out what this formation and squad is going to look like. Mm, I'm sure you expect me to ask you about Messi. I'll, I'll do that now. He was, of course, the, the most eye-catching summer signing of, of quite a few. Um, how has he done so far? And, and what happened between him and, and Pochettino when he was substituted against Leon at the weekend? Yeah, so I, well, I'll start with the latter there. So Pochettino took him out um, against Lyon. That's a big game in France, uh, PSG-Lyon. And um, he was taken out. And at the time, a lot of uproar on, on social media. You know, Messi has a lot of fans out there. And they were questioning, why is he coming out? And Pochettino doesn't know what he's doing. And um, all the drama, right, with PSG, all the drama started coming up. And it turns out that he did have an injury. And Messi may not have liked it. But... Right now, uh, looking on the website, it looks like he had an MRI and he has some bruising on his knee. So Pochettino, I think, was correct in taking him off. He did have an injury. He wasn't making a big difference. But at the time, a lot of fans got upset with it. Um, in terms of how Messi has looked, we haven't seen much of him. I mean, he he kind of stole all of the headlines, you know, as Messi, you would expect. Um, we just haven't seen a lot of him, especially with Neymar and Mbappe. You would think he would come in and it would just be amazing right off the back. And it just hasn't been that way. The results have been there, but the, the style is not what people are tuning in to see yet. We haven't seen the the team come together and scoring goals at will, especially against, you know, uh, French opposition, which you think PSG should dominate. That hasn't necessarily been the case. I mean, PSG beat Leon, uh, but it was a stoppage time goal that gave them the win. And then we saw against uh, Bruges one, one, it just, the, the results are kind of there it's the, the style, the play on the pitch is not up to fans expectations yet. Are you expecting him to be back for the city game? And will we see him up front with, with Neymar and Mbappe? I think that's the plan. I think if PSG hold Messi out against Mets today, and then we've got a game on Saturday against Montpellier at home at the Parc de France. So if maybe you bring Messi in in that game, I think if Messi plays on the weekend, um, if he plays maybe 30 minutes or plays 45 minutes, I think that would tell you that he's probably going to make the squad um, for the Man City game. If he misses Mets and Montpellier, I find it really hard to believe that you're just going to bring Messi in cold and go against an opposition like Man City. So if you're a Man City uh, supporter out there, which if you're listening to this, you probably are, keep an eye on those two games. and, and Or uh, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, the Montpellier game and see if Messi plays there. And if he does, that'll tell you a good indication of whether he'll make the City squad. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about Mbappe as well. Obviously, he uh, looked like he might have been leaving PSG at one point. He ended up staying. He's got one year left on his contract. How huge was it for PSG to keep hold of him? And what do you think the future holds for him at this point? I mean, it's absolutely massive. Um, there's a lot of drama there uh, ending the transfer window. For me, I, I never really thought that he would go. PSG, kind of like Man City, they don't really need the money. Uh, a lot of clubs, you would think a year left and someone's going to give you $180 million. 
um, you would make that deal. But PSG don't really need the money. And then as reports came out later, a lot of people speculate whether Real Madrid even had that kind of money. Like this was sort of posturing, right? This was them being the peacock with their feathers and showing how big they are and all that. Um, so I don't really think they even had the money, but it's absolutely massive to keep a player like Mbappe. He's a player who is the ultimate um press breaker so a team especially with manchester city pressing psg you have a player like mbappe who can use his speed and messi can pick out a pass to him and neymar and he he just does so many things for you and there's really no defense for him um uh, one signing that is sort of a little bit underwhelming akraf hakimi one of the best right backs in the world i would argue that he's probably just as fast as mbappe uh, and so you have him on the right flank you have Mbappe on the other flank, and they're just getting after it with Messi and Neymar in the playmaker um, role. There's a there's a lot to like about this team, but as I said earlier, it's really up to Pochettino to get those tactics right. But in terms of Mbappe, absolutely massive to keep a hold of him. And hey, we bought PSG bought themselves a little bit of extra time to convince him to stay. Mm. I don't think he will, but we'll have to see. Yeah, and speaking of Pochettino, he's been in the job for quite a while now. Obviously, yeah. we know him pretty well from his time at Spurs. He, he got one over on City a couple of times um, during that job. But how has he done so far? How satisfied are you with your coach at PSG? Not not as, as, as satisfied as I have hoped to be. I mean, last season, we uh, PSG lost the league on title to Lille. Not ideal. He had some really questionable losses when he took over for Tuchel, who was sacked just uh, right before Christmas time. And at, at, at that point... You're thinking, you know, this is a new manager coming in. Okay, he's got to get settled. We'll forgive him for a couple losses. Let's give him a transfer window. Okay, he's had the transfer window now. He's had arguably the best transfer window of all time. And um, while, again, the results are there, the, the, the play on the pitch isn't there. And so I'm not ready to sack him. I know a lot of fans are. A lot of fans are wishing Thomas Tuchel was still at the club. Um, Cause he went on to win the champions league with Chelsea with Tiago Silva, sort of a, uh, don't remind me. I know. Yeah. You know <laughs> very well about that. So a lot of people are wishing we had Tuchel back, but you know, he had his issues as well. Him and, and the sporting director at PC didn't get along. So for me, it's like Pochettino is not performing up to the level that I think he should be, but really what manager is out there other than Zidane, who's a Marseille boy, and is he really going to come to Paris and manage his team? Highly unlikely. I think he's waiting for that France uh, job to open up. So it's like Antonio Conte. I mean, who are you really going to get? Pochettino, getting Spurs to a Champions League final was no small feat. So like he can get it done. We just need to see, can he get it done at PSG with this team? He's Argentinian, Messi, Di Maria, Paredes. A lot of South American talent there. You would think, I mean, all it all makes sense. We just haven't seen it yet. And I wonder if it's injuries, fatigue and all of that. We just need to give it some time. And so I'm willing to give it that little bit of time. But I mean, if, if City comes in and, and blows, up, uh, blows PSG away, um, especially after last season, which Pochettino was, I would say, outclassed and outmanaged by Pep Guardiola. If that happens again, whew, his, his seat is going to be blazing hot. So um, keep an eye on that. Yeah, I was interested to know actually how you felt when the, the Champions League draw was made, when City came out in, in the same group as PSG. Are you are you looking at that as uh, with a bit of fear, trepidation, or are you thinking it's time for some revenge for, for last season or, or, or what? How are you feeling? I mean, you may have been a little bit like us. I was kind of bored with it. I was like, oh, Manchester City again, <laughs> and then Bruges again, and Leipzig. I mean, I feel like we played these teams quite a bit the last couple of seasons in the Champions League. I was hoping for someone a little bit different. Um, but Manchester City, I mean, you guys have an amazing squad 
amazing manager. And that's a team that I think PSG really measure themselves up against. And, you know, in the French league, we don't really get that competition day in and day out, especially high level competition um, with the players of Manchester City's quality. And so on one sense, you're a little bored, but then it's also like a really good measuring stick, you know, PSG are probably the betting favorites or one of the betting favorites to win the Champions League. But against Manchester City in the group stage, we'll really see if this team can compete. Because I think Manchester City are going to be there. I think Bayern Munich are going to be there. Liverpool, potentially Chelsea, I think. And so this is going to be a really good measuring stick to see where this PSG side is. And like I said, if Manchester City comes in and just blows us away, I think Pochettino might be looking for a job. Uh, come Christmas. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, we do a charity bet on the Blooming Podcast, so I want you to put your money where your mouth is now and, and give me a score nice. prediction for the game. All right. Man. What was the what was the, uh, the score of the first leg? I think it was uh, two one um, Manchester yeah, City. Two one City. Yeah. Let's go two one PSG. Let's go two one. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. That was Ed from PSG Talk speaking to Dan Burke. Um, Mike, let's let's start with you on this. How how are you feeling about this tie as a repeat of uh, of last season? Because it, it, the dynamic has changed a lot for uh, for City and for PSG. It has. Um... I'm a bit <laughs> selfishly a bit disappointed in a way. Um, I always like to face new teams in the Champions League. I like the, the 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 joy of commentating on new teams and new adventures. Sadly, not. Um, so PSG, it is. I won't complain. They've got star-studded lineup, and that's always a pleasure to to watch and, and commentate on as well. Um, I I think I still don't think PSG are. I don't know. I, I, maybe I'm being ignorant to, to to what they can do, but they they've there seems to be a lot of internal battles at the moment, a lot of power struggles. Perhaps Messi v Pochettino being the latest one, and I just think City actually might have a more comfortable ride this time around than they they did last year. Yeah, Ali. The, uh, the the talk is that Messi might not be fit. Ed there thinks that if he if he plays sometime at the at the weekend, then he'll probably play against City. Um, does it still rankle that City never got never got Messi over the last couple of summers? Do you do you feel that's one that got away? Uh, uh, rankle's not the right word because I think it probably all worked out the way it needed to in the end. Um, I'm first of all, I, I hope Messi does play next uh, Tuesday, isn't it? Because um, what you know, however much of a, a passionate City fan I might be, I'm also a football fan, and I want to see. Like I want us to be playing against the, the best teams and I want us to be beating the best teams. So uh, let's get that out of the way. Um, the, the the Messi thing was always a bit of a dream. I always thought it would, was probably would have been a bad idea, but also I would have quite liked it to happen <laughs> because <laughs> who wouldn't want to cheer on uh, Lionel Messi and their own team? Um, looking forward to the game, I, I strongly suspect PSG are probably feeling about this game roughly the way... Uh, I'm feeling probably most City fans are feeling about the Chelsea game. Um, it's kind of a little bit scarred and a little bit nervous, and I'm not entirely sure like, how we win this. And I don't think Messi is the answer to them. I don't think that's why they. You know, I don't think the lack of Messi was why they didn't beat us last time round. Um, I think it was much more to do with the uh, you know, formations and tactics and, and co- the cohesiveness of the team. Um, and I would expect we will still have that edge on them 
next week. I think we definitely have a psychological edge on them, uh, but it will be an absolutely fascinating match, and, and uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, unlike Mike, um, I, I don't have we. I don't think we've ever had PSG in a group game before, have we? We. Last last group last group game was in the UEFA Cup. It was uh, it was two thousand and eight, and the coldest no, night go. in existence. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I want to clarify. I am looking forward to it. <laughs> I'm just being greedy. I'm just being greedy. That's all. I am listen, looking forward. To it. Listen, we can't have Shakhtar every year. You've got to, you've got to change. It's going to change some years. <laughs> Uh, Mike, we talked about City struggling with uh, when they were facing a press earlier on. Um, that's the one thing I do feel like this game has going for City is that it's going to be pretty damn hard for Pochettino to get players like Mbappe, Messi, and Neymar to do the hard running off the ball, isn't it? You would you would like to like to think so. Um, <laughs> I, I I hope a bit like uh, Ali that Messi does play in a way because part of the attraction this season was being able to commentate on Messi and Ronaldo against Manchester City. Um, but that, again, selfish reasons. Um, yeah, look, the, these guys feed off off the ball being fed to them and, and being able to do something going forward. Are they wanna, Are they going to want to come back and, and work for the ball? Neymar did, didn't he, I think, against P, against City um, in the in the semi-finals last year. I think he, he, he did actually put in quite a good shift, so he might be the man, but... Messi might drop deeper just to get hold of the ball, but I can't imagine he's going to be busy pressing Mbappe. Uh, again, probably not. But yeah, if one of those three is to do it, his name are, but he can't do the work of all three in doing it either. So yeah, we'll see. Ali, final question on uh, on PSG. Um, City winning against Leipzig and, and PSG dr- uh, drawing in Bruges. Uh, gives City a little bit of a leg up for this tie, does it? Because, it's, uh, because they can take full control of the group? Yeah, I guess. Um, I'll be, I, I only saw the highlights of the uh, the British PSG game, so I'm not quite sure what went, what went wrong with, with Paris there. Um, but I, I think what um, the the results of the first uh, round of matches does take a little bit of pressure off City. You know, we could lose and it's not the end of the world. We could still lose the game and, and then win the group. Um, so... Uh, that probably makes it slightly more likely that we will take something from it, perhaps. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm really happy with the way the the Leipzig game went, and I'm really happy with things are looking in the group at the moment. Um, and I, you know, I, I can't pretend to have watched enough of League One to really know what kind of state uh, PSG are in. Um, they're I think struggling to win, but I but keep winning so far from what the, the results I've seen. Uh, and yeah, I'll, I'll, no, bring it on. Um, it, it's Champions League. The the pressure is a little bit off. Uh, it will be a, a fantastic night in a fantastic stadium. And, and yeah, let, let's just enjoy it and not, not worry too much. Yeah, I promise you I won't be feeling that way at 10 to kick off, though, on Tuesday oh, night. Know, so yeah. uh, there, there we go. Uh, right, so we had our first win of the season on last week's podcast. Well played, Duncan Alexander. He's a Wickham fan, and he correctly foresaw a 6-1 City win in midweek. And that means the first charity bet win has put £250 into the pot. We're raising money for the Man City Fans Food Bank Support Group, which is helping the Trussell Trust, as they help people who are living in food poverty in Greater Manchester. Let's try and add to it this week. We've all got £10 correct score singles from William Hill. Uh, we'll start with the Chelsea game. Um, I'm going to get mine out of the way quickly because uh, you two have both had a score that I would have gone for and now I, I can't be that confident. I'm actually predicting a Chelsea win so I'm going to take the flack on this one uh, and say uh, Chelsea will win the game 2-1 and if they do I've at least stuck 100 quid in the food bank kitty so uh, <laughs> there we go it's 10-1. to 1. Um, Mike what's your uh, what's your prediction for this one? 
Yeah, difficult one. Injuries, some players out, uh, difficult week ahead. I know Pep Guardiola will only say one game at a time, but he will have to have an eye on PSG and Chelsea. So I'm going uh, sorry, PSG and Liverpool. So I'm going to say one one. One uh, one is five to one and fifty pounds if you're right. Ali, what's your scoreline? Yeah, I would initially have gone for one one, but Mike got there first. Um, <laughs> and Sorry, because I think I think deep down both managers and both teams would settle for the draw. So so if it, if it is the if the scores are tied after sixty minutes, I think it will finish with a draw and I'll give it two two. Uh, that's 14 to 1 and £140 if you're right. Um, we've already heard from Ed earlier on in the show that he thinks uh, PSG will win 2-1 in the Parc des Princes. Uh, that's also 10 to 1 and £100 if he's right. Um, Mike, what's your score prediction for this one? Yeah, right, boring again, isn't it? Chelsea 1-1. I've, I've stuck the same on PSG for this one. 1-1 <laughs> uh, again is uh, 13 to 2 and £65 if you're right. Uh, little peek behind the curtain. Uh, Ali and Mike both sent me their score predictions at exactly the same time, so I made one of them change for each game so that was the one Mike had to change which means Ali you know that you're going to say now what Mike wanted for this game yeah I'm going to be a bit bullish and say uh, we will nick it 2-1 uh, 2-1 is 9-1 to one and £90 if you're right there so uh, fingers crossed we can add some more money you've got to be 18 or over to gamble prices can change and for more information on how to gamble responsibly have a look at begambleaware.org And that brings us to the end for this week's Blue Moon Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. If you've enjoyed it, please go and tell your friends and leave us a rating and a review in all the usual places, especially on Apple Podcasts if you can. If you'd like to support the show, you can join our Patreon page. That's just £2 per month and you'll get all of our brand new bonus shows. They're out weekly and they're out every Monday, so you'll get four or five a month for your money and they're well worth it, even if I do say so myself. And this week's is a timely look at four games between City and Chelsea. City fan Liam Wright and Chelsea fan Liam Toomey have each picked their heaven and hell matches from meetings between the teams. All that is available for backers at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. If you sign up, you'll also get the main show without adverts. You don't have to listen to me chatting about shaving my balls or Sam Roscoe talking about tasting some beer. That alone is probably worth you £2 a month. Have a look at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast for all the details. Special thanks this week to my guests, Ali Fogg. Uh, Absolute pleasure. And Mike Minate. Yeah, thank you, mate. I'll be back next week after one of the toughest weeks for City, and I'll see you then. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.